This is Inspiring Minds, a podcast focused on thought-provoking conversations between BSB students and our world-class faculty. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Minds here within the Villanova School of Business. My name is Dan Bernardi. I am a senior marketing major and political science minor from Normal, Illinois, and I am joined here today by Lake Brennick Meyer, senior finance major from St. Augustine, Florida, interviewing Dr. Myers, the assistant professor of management and operations here at VSB. Thank you for that intro, Dan. So Dr. Myers, would you please share with me a little bit about kind of your path to sports analytics and then how that shifted into your role right now in consulting with Toronto FC? Sure. Well, I think it began with reading the book Moneyball and just having an interest in analytics and sports, but then just thinking in the sport I love the most, which is soccer. Mm -hmm. So um, I was at Villanova at the time and uh, thought of a research idea, which was to look at optimal times to make substitutions. As you know, there are only uh, three maximum substitutions that can be made in an official international uh, game. And so, you know, what is going through the manager's head before making that decision? You know, I used, uh, used some data mining techniques and, and found that there were some critical splits when, when teams were behind. If they made their subs at the 58th, 73rd, 79th minute, that they could get an advantage. So I uh, put that research into a paper and uh, it actually featured in the Wall Street Journal. And that sort of led to some um, bigger opportunities. Mm-hmm. I presented at the 2013 MLS Combine in front of all coaches, a lot of front office staff people from all the teams in the league. And it just made the most sense coming out of that that I would work with Philadelphia. What did you find specifically about substitution? Was it more so based upon the specific time which the substitution was made, or more so, more so the amount of substitutions, or kind of the factors about how much they were losing by? Or So when I looked at the problem, I, I wanted to look at just some basic properties about substitutions first. Mm-hmm. So I just looked at, in general, um, when teams, on average, make the first, the second, the third sub, kind of the frequency of matches where no subs were made, one mm-hmm. sub, two sub, three subs. I think in general, what I was seeing that it seemed to make a lot of sense to always use three subs. Um, if it's always a choice of, you know, should I use all three or mm-hmm. uh, something below that, that you should be, be using all three. And then um, what was kind of in my head and kind of how I approached that study was this phenomenon of the super sub and, and how mm-hmm. um, fresh legs can come in and, and impact the match. So the conclusions I reached were very specific towards uh, the game state, you know, um, whether you were tied behind ahead. Mm -hmm. And the only significance that I found was when teams were behind. That was when you wanted to kind of follow that rule. And teams that did follow this procedure were like doubling their likelihood of getting back into the game. So I, to kind of get technical here, kind of had this like binary target variable. Mm -hmm. Either you improved your goal differential or you didn't. In a lot of cases, it was going from minus one to getting a tie Mm -hmm. or going from Mm -hmm. minus one to plus one. Or even if you get yourself like minus two to minus one, you know, that's putting you back in the game and, you know, you, you still have that opportunity to win. Can you share a little bit about some of the responsibilities you've had in the MLS specifically with the union and also now uh, working in analytics with Toronto FC? Sure. My, my responsibilities have, have evolved a bit because when I began with, with the union, I mean, at that point, I was just very content and happy to finally have an opportunity to mm-hmm. impact a club. Usually in, in analytics type positions, you're hired by front office people, you know, a GM, maybe even uh, an ownership group but the coach actually had, had hired me. So he wanted to use me kind of as another resource for match preparation. Mm-hmm. You know, so if we had a match on Saturday, I would make sure that I would have a report prepared to him by Tuesday or Wednesday at the latest uh, with um, strengths and weaknesses of the opposition, 
breakdowns of trends and key statistics and what it would look like when that team had success versus, mm-hmm. you know, like it's a wins, draws, losses type splits, home versus away. And so that he was better informed. And it was a nice contrast to what he was getting from his coaches who would just, you know, watch video and chart things that they were noticing about players. And, and that's really where this approach can add value is because when, when I was making the conclusions, if we're trying to assess like how technical a player is on the opposition, like you know, his passing tendencies, mm-hmm. maybe a player makes like 30 passing attempts a game and we have 10 games and so I can assess him on 300 passes, which mm-hmm. through video, uh, a coach is not gonna be able to necessarily zero right. in on that. And it was sort of nice for the coach to kind of have that balance. And so if he was thinking in a particular direction, you know, he would sort of have this uh, further confirmation if mm-hmm. both his sources were pointing in the same direction. But if there was a kind of a mixture where maybe the traditional scouting was suggesting kind of one direction, mm-hmm. where my scouting was su- suggesting another, it maybe led him to ask further questions right. and maybe to to have a bit of a dialogue with me or mm-hmm. dialogue with the coaches or, or both. And then being hired by the general manager mm-hmm. uh, of Toronto, which uh, I, I should disclose that he was a, a, a former teammate and, and friend of mine. But, you know, he felt like it was justified. Mm-hmm. I'd already been working with another team. Right. I had uh, much more of a comprehensive role uh, with that team. So it was not only involving myself in sort of the opposition scouting and what goes on the field, mm-hmm. but um, kind of the overall uh, roster evaluation, kind of looking at uh, trends in the league, key performance indicators uh, to look for for both teams and, and players. You know, how can Toronto FC become one of the, the uh, super clubs right. in MLS? And then... You know, what would that look like from a performance standpoint? What are the typical characteristics of playoffs versus non-playoff mm-hmm. teams? And what are characteristics of MLS champions? And so, uh, you know, you wonder how does this impact the club? I don't know if we can scientifically prove mm-hmm. um, how analytics is helping a team win, but what we can hang our hats on is that the team has every year gotten better. You know, we went from being one of the worst teams in the league perennially to now we were uh, in the playoffs for the second straight year. Yeah made it all the way to MLS Cup Final, was right. one, one penalty kick away yeah. from winning that championship. Mm-hmm. So it's been a great project. And for every successful case there is like that, there's a Bruce Arena who gets up in a press conference right. and just kind of lays into how he doesn't feel that analytics has any meaning in soccer. And, and it also maybe invites more opportunity. If mm-hmm. there's more skeptics out there, right. there's more opportunity for a competitive advantage. If you really believe that what you're doing can help and it can lead to wins, if there's less people that are out there in competition doing the same thing, then it's a bigger opportunity. So, and, and I will say that there is a, an artistic side to soccer. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you have to put together a team of, of 11 on the field and, you know, a roster that's greater than that, and you have to work together. You know, baseball, maybe that team chemistry isn't as, as significant. I think it takes a lot. It's still very much on the coach's shoulders to... Mm-hmm deal with the different personalities right. and um, you know, make sure that what was intended on paper can mm-hmm. come to fruition. Can you just share a little bit about kind of the landscape of analytics, whether it be specifically in soccer or in other sports and where you see it going, kind of opportunities and kind of threats to what you've done? Technology is going to continue to improve the amount of data that is being collected, um, kind of ways in which you can process that, that data and get information from it. In every sport, um, and this is even kind of get into different clubs, is you've got to kind of find the balance there because I don't think that we're going to ever get to a point where it's 100% analytics data-driven. You know, it's still important to have those uh, people skills, that balance of an art and science of um, team building and, you know, finding that that balance and understanding very specifically where the data is, is going to help you because what it's going to look like, and this is the way, the way I see it, is that 
every team has an analytics department. It's, you know, one of the things that, that naturally you want to do, whether that's on the sporting side of your organization or on the, the business side, um, you need to have people that are, are good with making data. So it's really, it doesn't become this issue of, you know, because we're the only ones doing analytics, therefore we're going to have advantage. It becomes this, this battle of uh, what clubs can do the best analytics and find competitive advantage in, in the most situations. So that's fascinating within analytics and in sports in general. And I know as Villanova fans, the 2016 national championship was something that was unprecedented in terms of how people viewed that game going leading into it. It seems like every time Villanova goes to the national championship, they don't think we're going to we're, we're gonna win. It happened in 1985, it happened again in 2016. So I guess I was just interested, Dr. Myers, in your experience within analytics and Jay Wright's uh, strategy going into it. How do you think he handled everybody's doubts, specifically regarding the players that he selected and, and the team that he has built within the 2016 National Championship team? I'm interested in your, your views on that. I know that analytics has been a part of what, what he's built. And what I find interesting is that there's maybe this general idea in basketball about analytics that it's going to be these real advanced box score statistics that you know you have uh, an effective field goal percentage that's different from a from a raw shooting percentage and we got to find players that achieve well but what he's done is that he's taken attitude he has taken that and thought about what does that mean and and how can we measure that you know with his staff very detailed about you know how they chart and break down what are the variables that constitute attitude and so i think the the way in which he has continued to evaluate his players and, and his team is to think about those key performance indicators that reflect attitude and, and, and come up with his recipe to what success is. And when it, when it comes to analytics, it's just a, kind of one form of a lot of different diligence that goes into building a successful team and, and winning a national championship. Thank you very much, Dr. Myers, for being with us this morning. On behalf of Leica and myself, uh, we greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Minds. Stay tuned for our next installment featuring more VSB students discussing research topics with our world-class faculty.